Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast. I am Cindy Gozanski, your host, and I'm so glad you're here today. I am delighted and honored to introduce you to my guest, Monique Hoving-Smeets is a marriage and family therapist and Canadian certified counselor who has developed an integrative trauma model for treating developmental, complex, and incidental trauma called TRIP, Trauma Regulation and Integration Process. We're going to talk a lot about TRIP in this episode. I can't wait for you to learn all about it. Let me tell you a little about Monique. Monique is originally from the Netherlands. You'll hear her lovely accent. She immigrated to Australia and then moved to Canada, where she now lives on Vancouver Island. She's lived in eight different countries. During her journey as a therapist, she saw the need for understanding therapeutic approaches that truly reduce the impact of trauma symptoms. Her interest in body, brain, mind, and soul led her to develop the TRIP mode of therapy, which uniquely combines different therapies, including eye brain techniques, somatic strategies, heart's work, emotion-focused therapy, and attachment theory into an effective tool for treating trauma. Monique is so passionate about helping therapists and clients, and I can't wait for you to meet her. Welcome, Monique. Yeah, thank you. That's a lovely introduction, Cindy. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. I'm so excited because we've gotten to know each other a little. I had a brief introduction to um, an overview of TRIP, and we'll talk all about that. But I love to start with asking, what does being a heart-centered therapist mean to you? Because I know you are one. <laughs> yeah. When when I saw that question, I was like, does that even need explanation? I could like, I'm just feeling it, right? And so when I thought about how do I describe it, I would want to say that, you know, my passion truly is about seeing people living a life that is meaningful and fulfilling to them. Just like I desire that for myself, right? And as a therapist, I want people who are impacted by trauma to know that they actually have internal capacity to live a life where they can reach their potential and not just have to survive. Because a lot of people affected by trauma, they just say, I'm just getting by. I'm just surviving. I'm, I'm you know, just pushing through. And I need them to know that there is way, way, way more, um, you know, for their life than just surviving. And so that's kind of what it, you know, <laughs> what it meant to me as a heart-centered therapist. Yes. Oh, I love that. And really helping them find and experience their life fully again, because we know trauma mm -hmm. just takes so much away. Yeah, it really wrecks it. Or, or it can, right? Mm -hmm. Like for a lot of people, it uh, it really takes a lot of the quality of life away for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know this is such important work you're doing. How did you get to becoming a therapist? And then we'll talk about your approach a little bit. I love hearing about your, your journey. 
Yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. So earlier on in my career, I worked in at a recruitment agency, so in human resources and recruitment. And in the Netherlands, basically, you work at a storefront where people just walk in and they sit down at your desk and they explain to you why they're looking for a job. And what started to happen is that people didn't just tell me the kind of job that they were looking for, but all the struggles that had contributed to either not having a job or what led them to losing their job. And so I started to actually listen and support these people beyond the hours that I was supposed to work in the recruitment agency. Because <laughs> in my earlier years, I did not have very good boundaries myself, didn't really know what, what they were. And I could just feel that I just wanted to help them so much more. And so I started to really see the limitations of this profession. And I started to really think about, like, what would it take for me to be able to really cater for helping people with their struggles? And so I actually met my husband at the recruitment agency, oh. and <laughs> we, we backpacked through Australia and New Zealand and decided we wanted to actually migrate to Australia. And so once we actually landed there, I was like, I really need to do this. And so whilst I was still working within the recruitment industry, I actually started to study to become a therapist in Australia. Interesting. You had such a gift already for people to just open up and, and share with you. Yeah, I don't know that my boss always thought that was the most efficient use of my recruitment time. <laughs> but uh, for sure, I really wanted them to feel seen. I wanted them to know that they mattered. And I think that's honestly, that's at the heart of my work. I want people to know that they matter. That's why I think I don't want to, you know, give up on bringing this into the world. People's lives really matter. And for me, that's also the crux of the heart-centered therapy work we do, that we see each human being as someone who matters. And often so many other people in their lives don't see them, right? We all long to be yeah. seen and to matter yeah. to someone. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think I always say next to the air that we breathe, we want to feel connected. And it's just, unfortunately, trauma actually thwarts that process or that longing, right? Either it thwarts the ability for us to feel loved or it thwarts our ability to give love, right? So trauma often also really affects our ability to either be seen or wanting to be seen. And so it basically, in essence, it can take away the, the essence of how we do life. Mm -hmm. And, and. You know, for the listener, I, I want you to also, as Moni talks about this, and we're talking about trauma, we think about with our clients, but we also can think about it with us. And even the vicarious trauma that we experience as therapists doing our jobs, that can create yeah. a disconnection for us as well. So this, this has a lot of layers to it, your approach, but you were not always just focusing on trauma, you focused on relationships and you're a marriage and family therapist and you did, you did couples work. And so your, your yeah. master's wasn't completely for trauma, right? No, 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 no. Actually. So in Australia, at the time when I lived there, once you had completed your bachelor degree in counseling, you were a fully registered therapist. And so I actually went into private practice. I worked for three years as a therapist and I taught counseling for three years. And then I started to see couples, but I had no specific training in that area. And I thought, oh, can you, how do you even work with couples? And then John and Julie Gottman actually came to Australia and I took training with them. And I was like, oh, there is an answer to working with couples. This can actually be done. 
And so long story short, I, I took that training and then realized I want to do more of this. Australia really was culturally not a good fit for me uh, as a person, and which made us you know, decide to move to Canada as a student. So I actually applied on a student visa to come to Canada to do my master's in marriage and family therapy. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so basically during uh, my marriage and family therapy program, we were trained in EFT and in family systems. I recognized that the program did not offer any trauma training. And so I actually went outside of the department to obtain additional trauma training through a different program to make sure that I actually had trauma training under my belt prior to graduating from my master's program. Mm -hmm. Right. So you uncovered everything. I mean, it's, it's amazing just like how on, on top of things you are, right? If the culture wasn't a fit, you found a better culture. And then, then the programs and, you know, making sure that you have as many, as many tools as possible in order to, to help with your work. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, one of the challenges as a therapist is that to some extent, we're just expected to know everything and to treat everything, right? I mean, when you look at the diversity of struggles that people come to us with and the limitations of our training, right? It's a, it's a, you know, it's a miracle that, you know, we are often still alive in this profession because we are constantly needing to update our skills and our knowledge. And how do we even make, you know, sense of, you know, people's struggles and what is going to help them? What is really, truly going to help them bring about that change in their lives? Yes, we are so in need of that continual growth for ourselves, updating our skills, reinvigorating our passion for this work, which I know we'll get to as we talk about your model. And I, I hope that other people will be inspired by it too. I, I certainly have been, you know, and just that recognizing our limitations isn't isn't that so key often as therapists like we we may not we're charged with like helping everyone whoever walks into the office almost like the recruitment center whoever walks in you help them and it's really no different with therapy we think that's what we're supposed to do especially if you come up in community yeah. mental health work right oh absolutely right and so and i think it's you know how do we figure out what skill set to use and you know, how to really make sense of what people's needs are. Mm -hmm. And and I think we are often, you know, confronted with very, very challenging situations that clients have gone through. You know, and I say that we are facing those challenges, but of course they have survived and lived through it. But it is a really big responsibility on our part to figure out what will actually make a difference in their life. That's not, for me, that's not a small responsibility of therapists that we have. Right. That's an important way for us to think about the impact of the work we do, that we are assuming this responsibility. Mm -hmm. You know, especially, I think there's a sense that, oh, maybe we can just kind of sit there and it'll, it'll be enough. And you know what? That doesn't work. <laughs> No. And one of the things that I, I, it's maybe not a popular thought, but that I often say at my trainings is that there is a myth in our field 
because we often are being told, do not work harder than your client. And when it comes to treating trauma, I'm going to tell you this very unpopular statement. You will be working harder than your client. And if you are not willing to work harder than your client, then maybe trauma is not for you because people are so stuck and they're often so deeply impacted. They don't even know how to. So we do have to kind of lead the way until they kind of get going. And of course, they then have to have the buy-in, obviously, to work hard and wanting the change and desire the change. But yeah. Thank you so much, Monique, for saying that, right? Because that, that, that even clarifies what I was saying, because sometimes like we're sitting there with a client who has trauma and, you know, we think, well, maybe this will help and, and we don't know what else to do. And we're kind of feeling yes. stuck, but we keep sitting there and you're yeah. right. We do have to work hard, sometimes even harder than them to get that, mm-hmm. that motion and momentum going. And yeah. I love that you debunk that myth, especially for trauma. So mm-hmm. important. You said, often we obtain training in a modality, and yet when it comes to trauma, one approach does not fit the complexity of trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not just the complexity of trauma, but when you look at us being human, you are not just a body. You're not just a brain. You're not just a bunch of emotions and thoughts. Like, we as humans are a comprehensive being. And so one of the struggles that I experienced as a therapist was like, okay, so if we look at, you know, emotion-focused work, well, that's really important, but that's one element of me being human. And then we, you know, go and go, well, you know, if you work with trauma, then, you know, trauma gets stuck in the body. So we need to do somatic work. Well, that's great. So I also have a body, but now I have to do you know, therapy somewhere else for my body. And so when you're talking about that integrative piece, as humans, we are comprehensive and complex. We're not just one element. And so I think to some extent, we, it is going to sound like a strong statement, we are set up to fail as therapists to believe that one approach will heal the complexity and the comprehensiveness as being humans, and then add to that as being humans impacted by trauma. And so that's the hard part for me. And I'm like, we are trained that, okay, this modality treats this, and this modality focuses on that. And they are all really important. But I'm not just one element. And when I come to therapy, I bring both my eyes, my brain, my body, my feelings, my emotions. I don't leave parts of that at home when I go to therapy. Exactly. They, they, they're hidden a little bit sometimes, but they're, you're still bringing. Yes. Them. <laughs> and I love this, this concept of, right. That maybe not just one approach is going to work. Right. So if you're listening and you're feeling stuck, right. Keep listening to the rest of, of our talk today, because Monique's going to present like how she integrated many different approaches for a unique type of treatment for trauma. And you call it TRIP. So let's just talk about what is TRIP. 
<laughs> um, honestly, it's funny because people ask me, like, how did you even come up to this name? And, you know, some people go, well, you do understand that, you know, in the English language, trip kind of has so many different meanings. Um, but I literally woke up one morning after having, you know, been developing this model probably for about two, three years. It, it took to kind of really define this. And I thought, what is it that I'm working with? I'm, I'm working with trauma. And, and what does trip do? Oh, well, before the word trip obviously exists. And I'm like, well, I'm really regulating the body, the brain, the emotions, the thoughts, the behavior. And, and then I'm actually working towards integration. And I for sure don't want people to think these are just some techniques because these are processes. And so it literally like, I mean, you know, I don't think very much when normally when I wake up, but that morning, like literally trip was born. And so that's basically what TRIP stands for. It's trauma regulation and integration uh, process. And that's kind of how the, <laughs> the name even just came about. Yes. And um, I love when you can describe the different, um, you know, like theories and approaches that you pulled from to create this because people won't be able to, to see our screen, but we'll, we'll link yes. to your website and everything. But it's, it's really fascinating. And so anybody listening to this, I know one of the approaches or techniques you use, Monique is going to mention right now. <laughs> and so basically uh, what I've drawn from initially, so after my master's degree, of course, I was trained in EFT. I then took training in an approach called OEI, Observed and Experiential Integration, which was actually developed here in Canada, which works one eye open at a time. I was trained in family systems, like as in systemic, you know, dynamics and attachment. And so based on that, I started to, you know, work with clients from the modalities that I had drawn upon. But what I came across was that when working one eye open at a time, I started to see parts like in every client almost that I met. Now, I had not taken any IFS training. I had never heard of Janina Fisher's work. And I was like, Oh, I remember that I took DID training very early on in my career. So I was familiar with parts in the context of a DID diagnosis, but all of a sudden it looked like everybody had DID who was who I was working with because I was working one night open at a time. So I'll tell, you know, I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I engaged a, a supervisor who is actually a trainer in SB, so sensory motor psychotherapy. And really started talking about like what I was noticing when I was working one eye open at a time and, and how and the body. Just so, because I don't think everybody knows what does it mean to work one eye open at a time? Uh, so literally like you cover one eye. And uh, so we call it the switching technique. And so these techniques that derive from OEI, I have adjusted them and changed them to fit a better regulation and integration approach. but. Throughout the entire process, we literally work one eye open at a time to access our emotions, our body, our thoughts, and responses differently from, uh, from the other side. So yeah. you literally work with either an eye patch or, you know, having your hand cover or an eye. And so basically TRIP combines the eye brain techniques, somatic strategies, emotion focus work parts work, and everything gets you through the lens of attachment. Mm -hmm. So that's basically, in, in a summary, what TRIP actually has drawn from. Wow. And this parts work is also 
instead of just being like the DID focused parts work, it's, it could include the parts work like Dick Schwartz's model as well. Or yeah, it's, it's parts, which goes way back, but you know, parts is really right. new. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, like I said, like I hadn't even been exposed to his work. It was literally when I worked with one I open at a time, parts, different parts showed up on each side that was differently. So when you cover your left eye, there are different access to parts than on the other side. And that's what really started to make me think and realize, oh, the brain actually frequently is compartmentalized after trauma and the parts do not agree with each other. And one of the things that when you learn about TRIP that is so interesting is that you will see how feelings, thoughts, physical responses are actually different with your left eye open compared to your right eye open. And that really started to clue me in why also sometimes therapy doesn't work. When I say that, it's we would have chosen with a client what we were going to work on. And then we had one eye open and we would be processing and then we would switch and I'll, you know, leave all the details out when, what, and why we switch. But then I would encounter parts that go, well, I don't want to talk about this. And I was like, oh, you don't? But I thought you did. With both eyes open, you said you did. Right. And so- therapy, wanting to work on your trauma. But now no. one day is closed and you don't want to talk about this? What's going on? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yes, I'm not going to give you permission to talk to- That's exactly right. And that's how I started to realize that, hey, hang on. There are parts that are not on the same page about wanting to do the work. And from that was the permission process born. And I know that I'm kind of diving into the second process of trip, but basically the parts that were showing up in the left eye compared to the right eye was really telling me that they were not on the same page. They didn't all want to heal. They did not all want to process and focus on the trauma. And that really taught me that wow, hang on a second, we really need to take a step back and really understand what is actually needed for parts to be on the same page in order for us to really be able to process the chosen topic. Did you know one in five people will experience a mental health issue this year? Mentalhealththreads.com is your online shop dedicated to promoting mental health awareness and breaking the stigma surrounding mental illness. You can find fun, creative, and inspiring products like t-shirts, hoodies, and more, all with positive messages that remind us to take care of our mental health. Favorites like Perfectly Imperfect, Your Anxiety is Telling You Lies, It's Okay to Not Do It All, and No Risk, No Magic. Plus, we have a special collection just for therapists, like our bestseller, I'm a mom and a therapist. Nothing scares me. So come check it out at mentalhealththreads.com. Our mission is to start important conversations about mental health and to remind you that you are not alone. Check out mentalhealththreads.com today. Whether we're talking about trauma or anxiety or some other concern that your client brings, they can yeah. still have these disparate parts that come up with one eye open or, or yes 
Right. And, and then the goal, it sounds like, is to create a wholeness or an integration where the parts mm-hmm. talk to each other, feel safe with each other. And then maybe, is, is that how it works? So then you start to heal the, the problem of trauma, anxiety, or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I started to realize is that with one eye open, let's just say the left eye open, that side might be focused on staying connected at all cost. So the thoughts, feelings, behaviors are all geared towards not letting connection with people and relationships go at all costs. Whether these relationships are harmful, good, bad, that side is driven. Those parts are driven to stay connected at all costs. Then on the other side, we have parts that are often focused on staying protected at all costs. And so no wonder those two sides are so opposite. And so this is why often people feel like they get stuck because they can see themselves do things or say things and feel things one minute. And then the next, they're kind of thinking something completely different and doing something different. And so when we engage in trip, we actually realize that each side has a different agenda. And so the focus is helping each side to understand how did we both come to this place in life where we wanted to stay connected at all costs or where I want to stay protected at all costs. And unfortunately, in the beginning, it means that parts don't often really like each other. They're very, they can be very harsh and judgmental to each other. I often hear one part go, oh, the other side, I can't trust the other side. She just keeps taking risks that I don't want. I would never want to send my dating picture of a picture to a dating profile or a dating app. And then the other side goes, oh, what are you whinging about? It was 20 years ago that that relationship, we should be able to do this. And so helping parts to understand why they function the way they do, and then very, very gently build a compassionate attachment towards each other. Because for as long as internally you're divided, how are you going to do life? How are you going to engage in relationships and, you know, really achieve what you want to do in life? Wow. So, so beautiful and, and so intriguing. And it, it gets me excited just hearing about this. It's, it's so powerful. Even as you're talking, you know, I'm thinking anybody who's, who works for also from an attachment model, right? Like mm-hmm. that we usually see that external to the person, but in a way, this is like an internal attachment model. We're looking at the concepts of like distance seeking or proximity seeking, which we look at in attachment when, you know, we're working with couples, but now you're saying, let's, let's bring this into the human in front of me. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And, um, and I don't know if it's helpful to, you know, address this whole proximity and distance seeking intrep because this is actually the first process that we always do in TRIP, is that upon the impact of trauma, our brain actually has created a lens that helps us perceive the outside world as more dangerous than it really is in the here and now. And you know, some of us might be familiar with you know, the word projection, but this actually happens at a visual, physical, and emotional level. 
So what actually happens is that when a client covers an eye and looks at the therapist with one eye open, typically one eye sees the therapist differently than with the other eye. Now, this ranges from mild to wild. It might literally mean that, oh, Monique, you look like you have rosy cheeks on this side, all the way to where I have clients that say to me, I'm sorry to tell you, Monique, but you literally look like a demon to me right now. And they are absolutely terrified. They are absolutely terrified. Yeah. And when you start to realize that somebody has both eyes open all day long, and you start to understand how the one eye perceives the world, it starts to make sense to clients why, for example, they might have social anxiety. Because that one eye cannot accurately discern real safety or real danger anymore. And so then when they switch to the other side, they go, oh my goodness, Monique, you do look the same on this side. And so we call that the projection process. And what helps is that when we adjust our distance according to what the nervous system needs, let's say on the left eye and then on the right eye, significantly reduces the, the visual distortion, the physical distortion. So instantly we can actually help a client regulate to feel safe just by adjusting our distance or proximity per eye. Now, does that mean as a therapist, you need a rolly chair? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) One motorized one would be even better. (laughs) And you know, she has a little EFT backgrounds in there with the rolly chair. (laughs) That's great. Well, I love this creating safety, right? Which is we're incumbent. It's incumbent upon us to create safety and help our clients find ways when they have been traumatized to start to create safety. And then this is even deeper an internal safety that they're starting to create. And it's like the the crossover where both eyes are starting to trust each other. I don't know exactly the words, but yeah. 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 And what's beautiful to see is that the projection that's being placed on us as we actually continue to heal the trauma with the client over time, the projection to us actually starts to disappear. So it's really cool when clients for, let's say, two, three years tell me, you look like a monster on my left eye. I don't know you on this side. And then all of a sudden they go, oh, no, you don't, you don't need to move backwards. I can see you just fine. And I'm like, sorry, what? <laughs> and it's just amazing that people can realize that your brain and body can heal. Like to me, this is just incredible that clients start to grab hold of the possibilities of their own brain and body actually essentially healing themselves. We're just facilitating the process. Mm -hmm. And I love that projection can actually be healed so that a client can accurately discern, is this a situational person that is actually safe or is this really not so safe and I need to pack my bags and head out? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's amazing that you are facilitating this process for the clients while always seeking permission. And I know that just from the mini training that I got to attend that you did, but that permission seeking seems so key for for the human condition and particularly trauma. Yeah. And 
whilst we actually have a permission process, right? So we have the projection process followed by the permission process. But what you'll hear me do throughout my entire session is to use what I call permission-based language. Mm -hmm. So I will go, so on this side, would it be okay if we switched to the other side? Do you feel ready for that? And on this side, I know you don't see me very well because your vision is blurred. Would it be okay if I moved my chair a little bit closer? Or would you like me to move backwards? So my entire language in a session upholds permission and consent seeking at all times where possible. And that's what I hear clients say to me, Monique, I just feel so much space and really this felt sense of consent. And yeah, I think that makes a real difference when we really start to use permission-based language in, in our conversations with clients. And, and it embraces the spirit of motivational interviewing by doing that, which we know is, is an amazingly client-centered, you know, person-centered approach that has a lot of evidence to it. Yeah. It's, you know, when, when clients first engage in the permission process, a lot of my clients actually start to cry because a lot of them say, I, I didn't know my permission really mattered. I've actually never been asked permission for much of anything. And actually a very recent client said to me, what do you mean you're asking me permission? Aren't you the therapist? Am I not just supposed to do what you ask me? I was just like, I was, honestly, I was choked. I was like, wow, the perception that some clients have of us, the kind of power that they assign to us. And I am like, we are not doing anything before we have permission from both sides. And before we understand what both sides even need in order to give permission to focus on what we've chosen. And so just those, the projection and the permission in and of itself can be so extremely healing for clients. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really, it's astounding. And the permission seeking part, the permission seeking of both, of both sides, again, we're thinking about the parts then giving their permission. It's not just like the I, but it's the parts. And as you said, like the, the shrapnels of trauma that lie within those different parts that they would start to give permission. Yes. Yeah. And one of the things that you'll learn is that with one eye open, the parts that show up on the left side, for example, are differently connected to the trauma experience than the other side. The other side might not even know what you're talking about or why the other side even thinks this is a problem, which is just astounding in and of itself. And so, you know, with with one eye, the client might say, oh, I have extreme anxiety and, you know, it's paralyzing. And then we switch to the other side and then the other side goes, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about because I sure don't experience that anxiety. And so, you know, it's just interesting how different parts are connected to the event in different ways. And we refer to it as the trauma eye and the calm eye. And the trauma eye typically holds parts that are directly connected to the incident or incidents. And the calm eye is typically connected to coping parts that have learned to survive and stay afloat and keep pushing through and keep pushing through. And so that's often what we notice in the way that parts are differently connected to the experience. Wow. Wow. And 
that sense of looking at the trauma eye and the calm eye and always coming from a place of permission seeking and then validating, you know, oh, that makes sense. Of course, you know what, this, this side doesn't think there's anything wrong. Validating each side, but also that, that knowing that if you're dealing with some extreme violation, I mean, any trauma or any kind of, you know, overstepping a boundary creates Mm -hmm. a violation. So to Mm -hmm. see this in permission just seems to be huge. Oh, yeah, it is. And so, which is why uh, in the beginning, when I started to develop TRIP um, with my wonderful ADHD brain, I'm always kind of looking to skip something and make something go faster, right? And so um, in the beginning, I was like, oh, well, we've done the the permission process before with this client. I can just skip it and get to the real deal. And so every time I would go, no, 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 you don't do that. And every time it would teach me why I should never like never skip the permission process because the reality is if both eyes are truly in a place where they happily give consent and permission, it takes five seconds. It's and not lost here. time. It's not lost time. And, and even if you're not doing this model, which I'm, which I'm not, but I think yeah. many therapists out there, it's really important. Don't skip the permission, the consent get, get gathering and don't skip the validation. You, you yes. can't really overdo it. Nope. Nope, that's very true. I don't think we can ever overdo consent taking and validation. Although, as a slight a side note, validation can actually be harmful if there are reactive parts that feel very concerned about parts developing a trusting bond. So, a very hard lesson I had to learn when working with severe complex trauma um, is that sometimes validating a particular part can actually trigger other parts to react in very harmful ways because validation communicates, you're right, you have a right to boundaries, you are right, you were wronged. And sometimes reactive parts that tend to have a more harmful approach either to self or others I've learned that they can actually take that validation and take their rights into their own hands, Mm. which I never, ever, ever imagined in my entire life that validation could go wrong. So just as you're mentioning that, um, my body is like, yes, and yet I learned a really hard lesson in this. Right. Well, I, I, I really appreciate you saying that. And I think some of us have experienced that as well. And, you know, maybe different levels, but even, you know, giving a validation and then realizing that it wasn't received or, the, or it made the client client feel worse, or, you know, I can just yes. your past remarks, like, you know, whatever, like, Oh, I feel dirty or I need to shower or something like yes. that. Right? And mm-hmm. so what we miss if we're not working harder is, Oh, there was a little dissociation and that's mm-hmm. your treatment model does differently. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And one of the things that you'll notice even with dissociation is that TRIP actually teaches us three different levels of dissociation. It's at an eye level. So I will actually, in the training, teach you how to recognize eye indicators that tell you your client is dissociating. Mm-hmm. Um, there is cognitive processing that indicates that a client isn't present. And there are obviously physical indicators that help us understand that the client is dissociating. And what's really beautiful is that typically the dissociation is only connected to one eye, not the other. 
So we can actually help a client fairly quickly to come back into the present and help understand, ha, huh, something must have happened that was really threatening and scary to the other side. Can this side maybe tell me what's happening for the other side that is so scary? And what can I do to help that client, uh, help that part feel safe? Beautiful. Yeah. And Monique, just if you can share with our listeners, like you have worked with some serious traumatic incidents for clients. Like just if you could just share kind of like the types of clients you've worked with um, generically. Yeah. yeah. Um, honestly, it, it has such a big range. Because whilst, I mean, we understand that the word trauma kind of gets overused and a lot of my clients that come to therapy do not believe they've had trauma. And particularly, I think as therapists who are attachment-based trained, we understand that even if you had a very harsh critical upbringing or a parent that had narcissistic tendencies, how that can really affect a person's functioning. But clients themselves don't see that necessarily as trauma. And so... I would say that I work a lot with attachment dynamics slash trauma and eating disorders. I work with, um, you know, dissociative identity disorder or OSDD all the way up to ritual abuse, which is honestly like the most horrific forms of human crimes I have ever, ever encountered. I work with people that have been in car crashes or have phobias. We've actually developed very specific applications for TRIP to work with car accidents and phobias. And you and I were talking earlier about, can you use TRIP with couples? And yes, TRIP is awesome with couples. So when you're talking about like, what can TRIP do? As I said yesterday, the only time TRIP doesn't seem to work is if the brain already is fairly integrated and that there is no loss of a sense of self. So the way that I make sense of parts is that if you think about attachment dynamics, if my parent was very critical and I always had to try to appease and please my parent, it meant I had to abandon myself. So what happens right there is that you have a part that stays connected at all cost to the attachment person. And yet this part of me that really has my own needs and my own feelings stays behind. Mm. So when you talk about anxiety or depression or general, whatever's general about mental health issues, TRIP tends to work almost with everything so far that I've encountered, as long as the brain seems to have lost that internal cohesive sense. And so, I, yeah, it's, it's been an amazing journey to work with different problems I work with people who have been affected by pornography and severe bullying, uh, people that have gone through uh, war-torn countries. And so it just varies um, from, yeah, so many different types of experiences that have left people in a position where they kind of had to sacrifice their own needs and their own feelings and um, their own sense of worth. Mm. It's amazing. They so. they're so lucky to have you. I actually feel lucky that they, that I have them because without them, this would have never never come about. Our clients teach us so much, don't they? They really do. Yeah. One of the things I love that you share, Monique, is looking at the benefits that Trip can offer to us as therapists, we're talking so much about how it can help and heal 
the pain of trauma for clients. But I'm going to read a quote that you shared. Surviving and thriving as a therapist often means we need to figure out how to effectively help our clients. When we lack the understanding and skills to deal with the client situation, it can leave us feeling really inept and overwhelmed. And so maybe share a little from your experience training therapists. Mm -hmm. How has TRIP given confidence to therapists and helped them get out of this sense of overwhelm? Mm -hmm. Yeah, honestly, it comes from a place that I often felt really overwhelmed by the vastness of the impact that trauma had on clients. And I felt often really small, like in the context of these, you know, big mountains of trauma that, that people had gone through. And I felt that the skill set that they had was not even coming close to even attempting to walk them through this. So, you know, it, it can feel very intimidating as, as a therapist to not feel like we have enough tools and the right tools to really like form a safety net for, for clients. And of course, then, you know, our imposter syndrome shows up and then our burnout start to show up, right? Like if you just look at, you know, the amount of therapists that struggle, you know, even within two to five years of being in practice. And part of me really, when I see that, I'm like, have we as therapists really been given the right tools, the right training? Were we really set up to thrive as therapists? And so one of the things that FRIP, I feel, really does, it starts to give therapists a variety of therapeutic um, tools and processes where they can start to feel they are catching the depths of the trauma with TRIP. And what I love about TRIP is that you can facilitate it you can obviously be with the client, but because it's so focused on helping the client develop internal attachment and in a way resiliency, we're not always just left with the draining and with the impact because now we actually can use very specific tools where you can see the transformation happening in front of your eyes. And so I think for me as a therapist, when I look back 10 years ago, you know, and now I'm not scared when another client, you know, says, hey, I was referred to you and, you know, I've gone through this and I've gone through this and, you know, the problems just keep stacking up. Instantly, my trip lens goes on and I'm hearing, ah, there's differences in how parts think and feel. Oh, this is where the body is holding on to the trauma. Hmm. I'm wondering about how parts internal attachment is, you know, really not helping the client thrive. And so I feel that even as clients kind of just do like a, an intake form, I start to be able to conceptualize where and how I might be able to help this client. And honestly, it just gives me a base of confidence. I wouldn't say overconfidence. I don't think as a therapist, we can really reach that place where we're like, hey, we got this every time, all the time, right? Like we, we always knew. Even with the same clients, it's always new. <laughs> yep. And, and that's what clients also say. They go, Monique, with trip, you never know what's coming. I'm like, yep, neither do I. And so, you know, it, it makes it 
spontaneous and guided by the body and the brain of the client. But because we know how we can conceptualize it and we know the integrative skill set, what we have, it provides us as a therapist at least a sense of, okay, I know where I can start. And so, yeah, I think that's as at a confidence level for therapists. Yeah, it just seems to change for therapists who have told me they've taken every training under the sun. And it's, it's sometimes really hard for me to hear that when therapists say that, Monique, we've taken every training that there is, but this beats it. And I'm like, you don't know what you're saying. You're talking, you're talking about high level, very well-known modalities that are out there. And like my model is like, you know, very, very new. And in that sense, I'm a nobody, right? Like I don't have a big name <laughs> behind me. And it's it's hard to kind of hear therapists say that sometimes. Yeah, that's not true. You're not a nobody. I can't no. wait for people to say, wow, Cindy, I can't believe you had Monique on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, and, that's funny. Great. Well, and, and I think as we are able to get more results, like better outcomes mm-hmm. and see the results and see that integration and see a little healing from our clients in session, that inspires us. That that helps us want mm-hmm. to continue being therapists, yeah. you know, in a world where, like you said, yeah. so many of us are burnt out and, you know, mm-hmm. we question wanting to stay in the field, all of that, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, it's huge. And I was in um, your mini training the other day, and I, I thought it was amazing that another therapist who was probably around my age, you know, like midlife, mid fifties. And she said she was about to retire and she took your training and now she's so invigorated that she's going to yeah. continue being a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome it was, it, it was really amazing. It was actually one of my pilot trainings in California about two years ago, where I think that was one of my very first trip trainings. Part of the training is that we call them practice rounds where, you know, you will choose something that you're willing to work on throughout a training. And I say, please choose something that you have already worked through, that you think you have already worked through. Because once you start processing this one eye open at a time, there will always be pieces that you may not have encountered before. Mm. And so we did the practice rounds at this in-person training, and it just changed what she experienced. And it was so dramatic and so revolutionizing. Yeah, she said, when a guy, Lily, was on the verge of retiring. And she goes, there is no way that I'm going to be doing that. And I love her support. Um, You know, it's just so amazing to hear, you know, somebody take such leaps and bounds and risks after having been in the field for a long time. And so that was really, yeah, really endearing to me to kind of see that. And so, uh, yeah, she's an absolute trooper. <laughs> yeah, well, you're so deserving of that. And it, it just shows that the trip can be professional source of healing, but also personal, right? And especially if the therapist, they often want to sign up for a trip therapy session for themselves because they see the yeah. impact that it has. And that's really remarkable. It's, it's a, it speaks volumes to power of this, this approach. Yeah. And I must say, I feel extremely honored that, you know, when therapists do the training, they start to come across experiences that they haven't either noticed before or, you know, have been exposed to. They then go, hey, would you be willing to do trip with me? And both me and my practice colleague, uh, Miro, we both actually facilitate trip for therapists. 
Amazing. And I must say, I find that work really sacred because as the therapist gets to heal from their pain and their wounds, then it actually has a ripple effect for their lives, but also for the client's life. And so um, I feel extremely honored to actually work with therapists and, you know, help them through their own trauma and their journeys. So, yeah. Oh, thank you for this work. I just, I can't express how wonderful and exciting this work is and what you're bringing to the field of psychotherapy, Monique. It's, it's so powerful. It's so, it's so enlightening. And I want anybody listening to this to please check it out. So like, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you for integrating these approaches and creating trip. I can't wait to learn more myself. Um, and I never thought I would be interested by the way, when somebody includes anything like somatic or whatever, I'm like, ah, I don't know, but I'm super interested. So from, from my heart, my heart centeredness, uh-huh. thank you for what the work you're bringing and the healing that you're, you're bringing to so many people. It's, it's amazing. I can't wait to have you at the training and can't wait to hear what, what you, what you actually feel in the experience as far as the training. Be lovely to hear what, yes. uh, what you see. Yeah. yeah. And, and for sure the couples piece as well, but tell everyone how they can contact you and also about your upcoming training this June. Yeah. So this June, so basically it's a hybrid training. So we have an uh, online learning platform where you will have access to all the learning materials, client video recordings, quizzes, everything to kind of help you learn this modality. We have a three-day life training. It'll be Friday, 2nd of June, and Saturday, 3rd of June. And then the following Sunday, I think 10th, I think it's 10th or 11th of June. So it has at least a week between so that you kind of get to process a little bit, read up a little bit on the e-learning platform. And so um, that's basically what will happen. Uh, It happens in a very safe online environment um, where basically during the practice round, we will have, you know, training assistants who will guide you through the process. It typically is a very lively and an interactive uh, training. And, you know, I'm not a very quiet person. So, you know, falling asleep in my training is is probably not an option. That's probably not going to happen. But what you will see in the training is uh, video demonstrations. But typically, I have either a client come and talk uh, to the therapist about their experience with TRIP, and I typically do a live demonstration with one of my clients as well. And so, um, yeah, so it's a very interactive training, and uh, I would love for therapists to come and check it out. The website is relationshipworks-therapy.com. We also have a TRIP Facebook group. So if you type in in Facebook, uh, TRIP, Trauma Regulation and Integration Process, you will be able to find us as well. That's great. And and this will all be in the show notes. And, you know, listeners, we, we learn so much as therapists by watching other therapists work, other therapists work. And when you see Monique work with her clients, it's amazing. And you're going to be so moved and to be able to see like, you know, recorded and live sessions using the trip model is it's so exciting and it's an amazing offer. So that's coming up in June and then you're offering it again in the fall, right? Yes. Yeah. So there's going to be one in the fall and one in the winter. So typically we try to run it three times a year. We don't have the exact dates for the fall and the winter yet. That will happen this week, which typically will be announced in the Facebook group. Or if people have signed up to be on our connection network list, they will be advised through email. 
Great. And just so you know, it's relationship works with an X dash therapy.com. It's all in the show notes. I love that you're creating community for therapists on Facebook as well. That's huge. I'm all about community. So be sure to join my Facebook group, the heart centered therapist community on Facebook and Monique's group trip trauma regulation and integration process on Facebook. Thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation and I know it will inspire so many people. Thank you, honestly, for having me and making it so easy. It's, uh, it was wonderful to have this conversation with you. And I really look forward to our connection in the future. Great. Me too. Thank you. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.